With the example of Father Capon, we are given a model of how to be hope to a hopeless world, to be light to a dark world, to be so filled with joy that people desire to be around us. There's an urgency in the world right now. I want to enter the mission territory. In fact, the Lord has called all of us into this battle for souls. He's not given anybody a pass on that. Welcome to the Foxhole. Good morning, everyone. This is Jason Searle. On behalf of Capon's Men, we thank you for joining us in the Foxhole on the memorials of Saints Cornelius and Cyprian. Our men's faith formation groups follow the example of servant of God, Father Emil Capon, a priest from Kansas who lived the gospel in a simple daily life all the way through his heroic actions on the battlefields and in the prisoner of war camp in Korea, where he eventually died at the hands of his captors. Although Father Capon was ordered to safety during the Battle of Insan, his response to accompanying his men during the battle that ensued and their subsequent capture resulted in Father Capon becoming the most highly decorated chaplain in the United States Army history. The Foxhole's been honored to host guests who are making a difference in their communities, families, and their faith circles, and we explore how they, just like Father Capon, are doing the simple things in extraordinary ways. This week, I'm honored to have one of my best friends, Tim Kinetic, who's joining us from the Woodlands, Texas. I met Tim over 20 years ago as we both worked in the energy industry. As I got to know Tim, it became very clear early on that he is a man of deep faith. Tim's an entrepreneur at heart, not only in his business, but in his faith life as well. He helped to spearhead and bring to fruition Frasati Catholic High, which began as a vision to develop a high school in North Houston in 2007. Tim and the incredibly passionate and faithful Catholics in the Woodlands, Texas, partnered with the Dominican Sisters of St. Cecilia Congregation from Tennessee, along with Cardinal DiNardo, and were able to open the doors in 2013 to its first class of freshmen. Tim and his lovely wife, Heather, are two of the most generous people that we know, and they love to share their faith, hospitality, and their love of outdoors with their family and friends, especially at their magnificent ranch at Horseshoe Mountain in Arkansas. We're about to hear more about Tim's journey, but before I turn it over, I want to encourage everyone to share the message of Father Capon by sharing our podcast and faith formation materials that you can find at CaponSpend.com. Joe Ferris is going to lead us with a prayer, and with this, it's an honor to introduce and welcome Tim and Joe. Good morning, brothers, and thanks for joining us in the foxhole. Good morning, good morning, good morning, Jason, and thank you for that beautiful introduction. I'm so excited to talk to someone who's a good friend of yours, and it sounds like uh after having some time with him yesterday, just a guy who's on fire for the Lord. Before we chat, though, I want to pray. And I want to pray a little, maybe not a little differently, but I just want to pray some encouragement um, and maybe speak some encouragement into everybody who's tuned in the podcast or who's on the call. Uh, one of the ways the evil one works on men in particular is he separates us. We're separated on these little islands. And I was just praying this morning and thinking about how when we're separated, that's when we're in our weakest spots. And calls like this are important. And I just want to encourage folks to connect locally to a men's group. And if you can't do it locally, get on a Zoom call. Last Friday I got on a Zoom call. I just needed community. My wife said, you got to connect with some guys. And so I found a, a Capon's Men group in another part of the country, and I Zoomed in. I didn't speak. I didn't do anything but be there. And it fed me so much. So I just want to start there and move kind of quietly into where my heart has been in prayer the last couple of days. The poet Mary Oliver said, there will be a time when, every, when you believe everything is finished. 
and that will be the beginning. Regardless of when you're listening to this podcast, there certainly are a lot of things around us at this current time that seem to be finishing up. And the call to us as people of faith is that these are new beginnings. So I'm just going to invite you to to maybe close your eyes in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I just want to invite you into everyone's story who's listening to this podcast or this call right now. Lord, I pray for Tim. I pray for his family. I pray for Jason and all the people and Scott who are working behind the scenes to to push the call to Father Capon. But right now, God, I pray for that, that man or that woman or that family who feels like they're finished. I pray, God, that you give them this morning a spirit of newness, a spirit of new beginning, a spirit of start over. I pray, God, that you give them the the confidence of knowing that you are not a God that leaves us alone on islands, that you're a God who calls us in and keeps us close and encourages us to live in the community. The scripture that I've been praying about a lot recently is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. And it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So as we finish our prayer, God, I just pray that you fill us with light. Let us be people of light. Let us be families of light. Let our churches be churches of light to a world that has grown dark and gray in some places. And I just pray, God, that we can be people of light and beacons of hope. We ask all these things to the sacred heart of Jesus and the immaculate heart of our Mother Mary. And we just ask all the angels and saints to pray for us today. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Tim, it is exciting that you're on the other end of this call, and I'm, I'm super pumped to talk to a guy who grew up in Arkansas. So I'm going to jump right in. Um, I know that you and I share the fact we both have connections to certain religious orders, but I'm not even going to go to the Dominicans yet. I just want to hear about the Benedictine monks. I know they've had a huge influence in your life, um, and I know there's something about Sabiaco, and I, I'm probably mispronouncing it. So I'm just going to turn it over to you and let you kick off the call, sharing a little bit of that um, and maybe a little more detail about how you got where you are. Yeah, good morning, Joe, and good morning, everybody listening. Thanks, Jason, for setting this up. Uh, you're a dear friend also, and I appreciate the kind words uh, on the introduction. But uh, Subiaco, Subiaco, Arkansas, is... Uh, small town in the country, and it certainly has been a big influence on my life. Uh, my mom and dad grew up in that area, in the Subiaco, Paris, and Scranton, Morrison's Bluff area, and it's just a small country community, and it's uh, right along the Arkansas River Valley. It's just a beautiful part of the part of Arkansas, and it's interesting that uh, in the late 1870s, uh, the railroads were coming into the area, and they were wanting immigrants, German immigrants, to move into the area. And one of the things that would help encourage them to move into the area was having a religious order in the area. And so they donated land to uh, the Benedictines, who built a monastery there, and uh, subsequently built a school. It's uh, today it's a day school for. Uh, for boys, uh, boarding school, they teach uh, 7th through 12th uh, grade there. And they also have a retreat center there, which uh, our family is connected to in, in a number of ways, uh, the entire area. But it's, uh, it's a beautiful place on a, on a hill in, in Subiaco, Arkansas, built of Arkansas sandstone. They call it Abbey Stone in the area with a red roof. It's just a beautiful uh, European-like uh, building. It's just a gorgeous place to come visit, and I'd encourage anyone to come visit that would have the opportunity. But my dad was uh, a student there. He was uh, what they called a day dog. Those that didn't board were called day dogs, and 
All of his brothers also went to school there, all except for one, uh, his brother that was in the Korean War. Um, but my dad's still very much in tune with the Abbey. He stays up to touch with uh, the monks there. and uh, Our family's been very connected. My, uh, my mother actually has two uncles that were uh, at the Abbey. One was a layperson who actually came back from World War II and ran the pig farm there. And another, uh, Father Herbert Vogapol, who, uh, who became a priest and uh, served in parishes in Texas and Arkansas, and then went back and, and ran the, uh, the, con- the uh, retreat center there. So it's, uh, we're pretty connected in that area, and the Benedictines. My mom was also, uh, uh, at the same time when they moved in to Arkansas, the Benedictines, they also brought sisters into the area. And the sisters... Uh, started to establish down by Shoal Bay, which is close to a small area uh, near Subiaco. I think sometime in the around uh, 1925 timing, they moved to, to Fort Smith. And there's a beautiful campus there called St. Scholastica's in Fort Smith, where my mom was actually a novice for two years and uh, before she decided that wasn't her calling. But also one of my dad's uh, sisters, Sister Agatha, is a nun there still today. She's 97 years old. She's still at St. Scholastica's in Fort Smith. And uh, she was a teacher most of her life. But uh, So we're pretty connected to the Benedictines. I mean, the monks are, are known as the country monks. They're, they're a lot of fun to go see. Uh, there's about, uh, I think, 39 of them there now. And they, uh, they, they really had a self-sustaining kind of lifestyle. And really their life, to me, kind of boils down to a life of work and prayer. And... Uh, they just, you know, they raise their own cattle, grow their own crops, uh, grow their own grapes to make their own wine. We now have a brewery. They have a they have a sawmill, woodworking shop, uh, and they saw items. But uh, some of the more famous items are their hot sauce and their peanut brittle. So we uh, we visit there very frequently, and I I love to take guests there. So they're a significant part of my uh, my history and my family's history, and had a big influence on our life. Uh, it, it sounds like a pretty solid place to visit. You had me at a brewery and um, peanut brittle, so I, I'm all in now. I'm going to check that out. But I, the, the I challenge when you get the peanut brittle is not to eat the entire can at once. So, but they have reduced yeah, the, I, the can I, from two two pounds to one pound. So it's, if you do eat the whole thing, you only eat half as much as you used to. It's likely I would fail that challenge. I mean, let's be straight. But I will also <laughs> tell you. But, and I think we chatted about it yesterday. The first word of the Benedictine rule is listen, and it sounds like your extended family, you have so many people that have entered religious life. It's beautiful. I mean, it's like a, a litany of saints in your house um, or in your extended family. So I want to shift gears a little bit with us because just for the sake of time, um, you, you and your bride, um, I, I think it, your children grew up attending Catholic schools in Houston and all that sort of thing. But I think you've done something that's not the normal conversation in Catholic education these days. Um, it seems like so many conversations I'm in are how are we going to close, how are we going to save face, what are we going to do next. You did the opposite of that and actually started a Catholic school. I mean, we're a big part of that. Can you break open a little bit of how that came in prayer, how that was, how that started? Because I know there are people in here, um, especially on this call, that are kind of ready for some exciting conversations of always conversations about maintenance. Yeah, for sure, uh, Joe. Uh, back in 2007, I was approached uh, about building a, a new Catholic high school in the north side of Houston with a group of lay people. And, uh, you know, after <clears throat> thinking about that some, realizing what a 
significant challenge that was and, and discernment and discussing with Heather. And Heather, by the way, Heather and I have been married, my beautiful bride of 25 years, so I'm very proud of that. Uh, she's my best friend and I and obviously trust her in all the decisions I make and she was very involved in the decision of, of getting involved and in, in helping build uh, Catholic High School. But our children, uh, Kyle and Laura, who are now 23 and 22 years old, one of them's in Colorado School of Mines, about to graduate this year. My, my daughter's in L.A. getting ready to go to medical school next year. They were founding students at St. Anthony of Padua in the Woodlands, uh, the Woodlands Elementary School at St. Anthony of Padua in the Woodlands. And there was no Catholic high school that was close to us. So my, my children ended up driving between 35 and 38 miles to go to St. Thomas downtown and Duchenne Academy in Houston. And so when someone asked me about uh, building a Catholic high school, I said, this, this seems like a, a reasonable thing to do. We have six parishes in the area, and uh, it just seemed like it was the time time was right and it was an opportunity to, uh, to build uh, a new school in the area. And we did a feasibility study. We had the support of uh, Cardinal DiNardo, and it was just, uh, you know, it's just amazing, really a miracle that it happened, and I, I always say is uh, truly a miracle, I think, and prayer and the trust in God, and so many, literally thousands answered the call to get involved in the school that uh, the school uh, was able to open in 2013, and Actually, when we started back in 2007, the economy was going very strong, um, and then we had the big downturn in 2008, and a lot of people said, well, we can't be trying to raise money now, but what it really did was give us a different opportunity in that we were able to buy land, purchase land to build the school on 63 acres in the northeastern area in spring that uh, would not have been available to us uh, just a few years years earlier, and I, I remember one thing that... Uh, Ted, our first uh, Ted Wanstrat was our first president. And when I first got him involved, he he had re- just retired from Shell, and he was he was looking for something to do. Ted is a very faithful man, so I called Ted and I said, "Hey, uh, I just want to pitch this idea of maybe building a Catholic high school in the north side of Houston." I said, "Would you be interested in getting involved in that?" And Ted's like, "You mean like the chicken or the egg, uh, the the pig?" And I'm like, I kind of chuckled and said, "Well." It may be more like being, being very involved like the pig. At the end of the day, Ted knew it was a significant you know, commitment, and he got involved, and then he was very involved in the first three years and instrumental in getting things up and rolling, and then I took over as president in 2010. But really the Holy Spirit guided the effort in every way, and one of the stories uh, that one of the sisters used to say is, you know, pray to, pray to John, St. John the Baptist, and he'll clear the path. He'll clear the path for the wilderness. This this path that you can imagine is covered in brush and rocks and brambles, and he'll prepare the way for the Lord. And it just seems like every time something got in the way, you know, that obstacle was removed by the Lord. And it's just, you know, clearly... It would not have happened. It's a miracle unless God wanted it to happen. And also that people, you know, people answered answered the call. And, you know, prayer was a big part of that campaign. But 
one of the, the big turning points, and you mentioned it earlier, are some of our connections with uh, various another order. Uh, one of our board members, uh, Father Joe Geedle, who was actually a Marine, and he was he was a chaplain in the Marine Corps. He was a very big part of getting the Dominican Sisters of Saint Cecilia uh, from Nashville to come and administer the, the school. And Father Joe talked about the ladies from Nashville all the time, and I'll never forget the joy on, on his face the day of groundbreaking. He was smiling from ear to ear, I mean, literally just radiant. And I, I know he, did, he didn't uh, he didn't live uh, about another less than a year after that groundbreaking, so he didn't actually see the school open, but. I know that he's smiling down from heaven today, from ear to ear, uh, knowing that the school's, uh, you know, been open since 2013. They graduated the founding class in 2017, and now I've had four graduating classes. And uh, you know, really, this this could only be accomplished by God. It's a, you know, prayer is the key. Just you know, many answered the call to get involved, and you know, God led them to answer the call and say yes. And, it's just it's just amazing. I mean, Tim, this is this is pay attention if you're listening to this. Like Tim's basically dreaming dreams bigger than he himself could accomplish that he could only get accomplished through the grace of God and through prayer. And I mean, to me, that's a life. That's a life fully alive. That's a life well lived. You know, you you've been dropping maybe accidentally or maybe intentionally like all these giants in our faith. You know, Anthony of Padua, Saint Benedict. Um, a few minutes ago, same, we talked about St. Dominic. The school that you founded, though, you named after Blessed um, Pierre Giorgio Frassati. And you know, a lot of the guys on these call, this call are super familiar with the story of Father Capon. Um, but would you share a little bit of potentially why you chose that saint as the patron of this community? Um, and then maybe some of his story, because I know when we hear these stories, it certainly serves as inspiration for all of us. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that the Dominican sisters were very key in uh, in helping name the school uh, Frassati Catholic High School. But Pier Giorgio Frassati, he was born in Italy, in Turin, Italy, in uh, 1901. He actually died at a very early age, at 24. But he was uh, a young man who was athletic and known for his jokes and joy and athleticism. His friends, he loved the outdoors. He was a man full of uh, life and energy. And he really loved the mountains, but he had a great devotion to the Eucharist and a great dedication to serving the poor. And he actually ended up being a third-order lay Dominican. Uh, but when Pierre Giorgio Frassati died in, in 1925, he died of polio, and he contracted that polio from serving the poor. And even on his deathbed, which his family didn't even know he was sick, except for the last day or two because his grandmother had been sick, so they were tending to her. And they didn't even realize he was sick until a day or two before he passed away. But even then he was worried about getting medicines to those that he was caring for on the street. And the family was just shocked uh, when thousands came out on the streets for the funeral procession, all the people he had served. And in 1990, St. John Paul II uh, beatified Pierre Giorgio Frassati, and he called him a man of the Beatitudes. And one of the statements that I that 
that uh, St. John Paul II made about Pierre Giorgio was that he testifies that holiness is possible for everyone. And I just think that's a beautiful, uh, a beautiful state, a statement. But, you know, Father Capon and, and Fersati, I think, uh, had a lot, had a lot in common. You know, both of these men were just, Father Capon and, and Pierre Giorgio Fersati were just focused on helping others in their life. And even to the extent that they laid down their life, uh, to, to help those, to help those in need and to help those around them and, and guide them. But the one, a couple quotes that I'm always really touched by, and uh, one of them is the one from Father Capon when he was being taken away to the death house, and he said, "Don't don't worry about me. I'm going where I've always wanted to go, and when I get there, I'll pray for you." And to me, similarly, Pierre Giorgio Forsati said, uh, "The day of my death will be the most beautiful day of my life." And to me, it, it just—it just tells you that both these men knew the, the meaning of eternal life, and they were so focused at serving others to get to this eternal resting place, to, to get to heaven, was really the goal, and to help others get to heaven is the goal. So their service to others and doing God's work is is just to me a just a great connection there. Tim, you're like a preacher, man. You're, you're driving I mean, John the Baptist. They got these great these quotes. Now, I, it brings up in me, even this years ago I read that the early church celebrated the day you died as your birthday because you were born into eternal life with God. Born into eternal, exactly. And I, and I think it's that's beautiful. what both Pierre, I mean, that's what Father Capon and Pierre uh, Frasati are saying, Georgia Frasati are saying. Um, I know you personally, uh, through some conversations with you, have great love for the outdoors and um, kind of in, in, being outside and, and I presume kind of camping and living. How did Pierre, blessed Pierre Giorgio Forsyth, now we'll say his name's a lot harder to say than Father Capon. Um, I, I, how did he, how did he inspired you personally through your kind of love for the outdoors? Yeah, I think, I think the connection there is, uh, Pierre Giorgio Forsyth, he would say, mountains, 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 I love you. And, uh, he just loved being outside and he loved being with friends outside and sharing, sharing the outdoors. He, he felt like it brought him closer, closer to God. And you know, I love the outdoors. Uh, I like to hunt and fish. I like just going out and, and being in, 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 in nature and seeing the beautiful scenery and watching wildlife. And we have a property that's not too far from Subiaco uh, called Horseshoe Mountain that we love visiting and spending time with. And it's really a place that uh, has grown to be a place for to share with family and friends. And my wife and I love going to places like Yellowstone and seeing the beautiful you know, mountains and seeing the wildlife, the bison and the wolves, the elk, bears. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, when you go out and you watch a sunset or you watch the sunrise over a marsh or you see these beautiful sceneries that God has created, you're like, You've got to believe that anything is possible, and that the creativity is just is just it's just amazing. And uh, you know, every time to know that that God created this this world, this beauty for for our enjoyment is really is really amazing. Um, we do have one thing on Horseshoe Mountain that uh, 
is not natural, and that's a, a bell tower that uh, we built back in 2013. I had a, a couple of friends of mine, deacons that were I had for lunch one day, and one of them just happens to have a bunch of bell towers and has a chapel just less than a mile from our our uh, our cabin there. And another deacon Charlie, who's very instrumental in Frasati Catholic High School, also just happened to be at St. Anthony's at the time, and they had a bell tower. So we ended up building a 57-foot bell tower. It has a 10-foot cross on the top of it, that, on, on the top of uh, on the top of Horseshoe Mountain, and a 32-inch bronze bell on it. But, uh, you know, the, the bell tower it just reminds us also of our just our Christian faith, and you know, with the symbol of of God with the cross on top, and it's even from the time of uh, Abraham, the Judeo-Christian practice was to build altars in high high places, indicating a path to God. So it was just I don't know, it was just another thing that just happened on Horseshoe Mountain that was wasn't really planned uh, with any detail. It just kind of came together and happened. So now we have a 57-foot bell tower with a on top of Horseshoe Mountain. Well, I man, I know Tim is a lot of a lot of um, rumors that it's one of the higher places uh, in Arkansas. That bell tower. I heard that rumor. So I, I, <laughs> I, I want to ask you one more thing uh, about. We have a mutual friend, um, and he's going to go see the Lord, uh, Deacon Mike Mims. Um, and I just, I know that he was really instrumental in speaking into men's lives and encouraging men. And I know you mentioned that he'd been an encouragement for you. Um, in the spirit of Deacon Mike Mims. And just in the, the spirit of us closing down this call, um, what is one thing, because you're so versed in saints and scripture and stepping out in faith, like what's one piece of advice you'd give to somebody listening right now um, that maybe has been super helpful in you in your walk with the Lord? Yeah, I think it's, it's prayer and uh, and serve others. I mean, I think that's, that's the biggest, you know, maybe maybe add one more and, uh, as to answer the call and you know, Deacon Mike was was amazing. A uh, very close close friend. He actually tying him back to Subiaco. Also, he actually bought a statue of Mary and Joseph and took them to his mission down in in uh, Honduras, I believe it is. Um, but yeah, just just pray, answer the call when God calls you to, and, and get involved and serve others. I think you have definitely done that, uh, Tim, in your personal life. And to connect all of this, you know, I started the call with, we don't want to be alone on an island, and you clearly are not. And I caught and, and moved into, let's wake up and let's get out. We're not done. Um, so I want to ask you, uh, Tim, if you don't mind praying for us um, out of this, you'll finish praying. Scott will come in on the back end and close it up. But it has been an honor to spend time with you. It's been an honor to hear your story and to hear how God has moved in your life. And uh, be assured of my prayers uh, for your school, that beautiful parish at St. Anthony, um, and for you and your family. So let's, how about you lead us in prayer, and then uh, we, we, Scott will come in on the back end. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful this time that we've had together this morning, and all those who made it possible for the share this time. We ask you to strengthen those who are in need, um, the necessities of life, both food, clothing, and shelter, but also those who are struggling with any illnesses. And especially I'd like to pray for those today who are struggling with any anxiety or depression. And please let those people know that they're loved. 
Lord, we just ask that you accompany, help us to accompany others on this life journey and to help to serve you by serving others. And we ask you to continue to give us strength to continue this work on earth until the day we make it to our eternal resting place. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Tam, thanks for joining us today. It's really been a joy to hear from you again and to have you in the foxhole today to, to share your love of the outdoors and uh, just some thoughts about, you know, how we, we put our gifts at the service of others. Um, one of the things you said really struck me. You said you see the amazing beauty of the world and you just have to believe that anything is possible. And I think that's such a good reminder. I think a lot of the times, obviously, when we um, – when we hear the Lord's call, sometimes we don't know if it's possible. But uh, and and it really, like you said, it's it's not possible without His grace. Um, the challenge this week, I think, is to just put into practice the. I think it was the the Dominican sisters who said, you know, when there's an obstacle, pray to Saint John the Baptist to clear the path for the Lord. So I think I, we've all got, you know, brambles, whatever in the wilderness in our lives that need clearing. So I, I think this week, uh, just to ask St. John the Baptist every day, come clear the path for the Lord. We want to welcome the Lord fully, embrace him, embrace his plan, be a part of it, but we need help getting there. And what a beautiful witness, what a beautiful testimony, and a, and a great idea. So that's our challenge this week. Um, thanks again for joining us. It's been great to have you. Um, next week in the Foxhole, we've got uh, two guests, actually. We'll be joined by Liz Sams and Janine McGann from Project Light Ministries. And they'll be chatting with Joe about a really cool video project that they've been working on called The Fourth Man that's set to release uh, this fall. So they're a dynamic duo, and they'll have some great insights. So be sure either to call in live or to join us on the podcast. Well, men, that's all we have today. As always, we are grateful to be fighting on the front lines of faith with you. Uh, as has been said, we are not alone. Know of our prayers for you and for your loved ones. And uh, like Father Capon, stay humble and stay courageous. Thanks and have a blessed day. Thanks for joining us in the Foxhole. As we go, we're blessed to leave you with these words from Father Capon himself. We can sure to expect that in our own lives, there will come a time when we must make a choice between being loyal to the true faith or of giving allegiance to something else which is either opposed to or not in alliance with our faith. O God, we ask of Thee to give us the courage to be ever faithful to Thee. Blessed are they who suffer persecution for justice' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. May the blessing of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of you. Amen.